goodness, thank you for a beautiful day. And Lord, we, we just want to come before you intentionally and expectantly. We just thank you for this opportunity in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you are called to be a worshiper? And those of you that have responded positively to that, how many of you came into it? You weren't like born like that as far as worshiping the Lord. Okay. So there were the other things that you were involved in. So it's, and how many of you have found out that there's always a little bit more? Uh, to, to uh, experience, to be involved in, and also to share. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to engage in some of this uh, very realistically here. And I, I, I know that the Lord's going to help us and show up with this. One of the keys of anything happening for God, or God with God and God's people is it says in Luke 3, verse 15, Everyone was in a state of expectation. And they were wondering, this was at the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist, who, you know, the guy wouldn't have been really good looking on Christian TV. His, he didn't have on a regular reverend rig. I mean, his clothes. His, and his message, but in today's world, maybe not seem that secret sensitive or positive. And he did no signs and wonders, but everything he was to say about Jesus was completely true. And somehow, all the people were attracted to this man. And, they were, and, they said, and so Luke writes in Luke, Luke 3.15, everyone was in a state of expectation, wondering if this one was the promised one, the Messiah. And they recognized that who he was, that he was God. He identified himself. He said, are you the, are you the one? No. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? I'm a voice crying out from the wilderness. He repeated his identity prophetically from Isaiah to his father Zacharias, who prophesied over him. And, you know, he was, he had spiritual laryngitis uh, when the angel appeared uh, to his wife. And, um, and he, re but he remembered who he was. He was not that. When he says, I baptize with water, but one is coming who's greater than me, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. These people were so excited with expectation that they were finding hope in the ministry of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, who was the hinge of all history. And they said, no, I'm an announcer. I'm a herald. I'm a forerunner. I'm and preparing the way for the one who's coming. If you're in a state of expectation, believe this. It's better and more and stronger than you can think or imagine. And it isn't just going to heaven. You know, I shared a little bit last night about my heavenly encounter. But I ain't in heaven yet. I happen to be here, and I'm, I'm, I'm on a course that I've been on with the Lord, and I found out there are ways to stay in the Lord. There are ways to continue in the Lord. There's a way to increase in the Lord for your purpose here on earth as it leads beyond earth. I'm sure that you get all that, right? We are just not being prepared to die and go to heaven. We're, we're living for the Lord on earth, and in that, it's imperative that we're filled with the Holy Spirit.
I know what it was like before, and I know what it was like after. After is better. <laughs> so I'm going to just read some stuff that I have here. Bear with me. <clears throat> In this day, God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Okay? He's making a paraphrase, Mickey. God is making the outpouring of his spirit available to all human beings. Pouring out spirit on all flesh. But some shy away, don't receive it, only go one toe in the water, maybe ankle deep. Knee. I want to be like in, in Ezekiel's description. I want to go out in the river where it's so deep you can't cross. I can't go back. I don't want to go back, but there's things in the life will try and pull you back. The earth, the world can be a negative magnet to try and pull you away from the depths of the things that you really want to be in. So I like being in deep. And every nation, every kind of person, every ethnos, multitudes are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the paper-thin cloak of religious inhibitions are tearing away when exposed to the winds of God's Spirit. Isn't it amazing how things change when you're in the atmosphere the Holy Spirit's moving? I don't think people are mad at people. They're not complaining. They, they don't need counsel. They're just, they're just in the Spirit with God. And they're receiving a, a current uh, experience and a revelation. One of the chief characteristics of any movement of God throughout history has been the restoration of singing. Singing in church. Spiritual songs are again being heard in the congregations in each believer as each believer sings unto the Lord a song which the Lord has placed within their heart. Separately, spiritual singing ministers life to the body and exalts the Lord. While collectively it swells into one great volume of song arising unto the Lord as the sound of many waters. That's a little stretch, but I like it anyway. Together his people sing new songs and the melodies of heaven which rest within each one through the Spirit of God. Isn't it amazing? Uh, how many have been in church more than like five minutes or a month or something? <laughs> that people can measure, kind of like the stock market, what a meeting was like. If, if, you know, say you weren't in church, say you've been going to your church and you're out of town, you come back and you ask your friend or relative or somebody, so how was church? You go, oh, oh man, the worship was awful, awesome. We got going and then this one song, I just ramped up. And, you, people can sense the presence of the Lord in the spirit. It's like, the, well, how, how was, how was oh, it was, oh, it was way over, it was, was it one to 10? Oh, it was like 11 or 12. How was the preaching? Well, it was like, you know. Three and five eights. Was, or nor or like it was just is incredible. The 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 word that was being was was spoken matched up completely with that, and someone gave a prophecy. But do you think maybe the Lord's into this? And that the effect that it has on people, people rise up. Something gets lifted up. And isn't the prophetic, three pillars of the prophetic is Edification, that's to be built up. Exhortation, to be urged, persuaded, convinced, uh, 
stirred up to respond to it, edification, exhortation, and comfort. And all of that can happen in praise and worship, either collectively or then sometimes individually, and we're going to get into some of that. Or things just connect, and, and you see that the Lord, as we go to the Lord, the Lord comes back to us, and then we all get it together. It's very powerful. It's amazing. And isn't it amazing even, how is it that you can hear a song and it becomes part of your life and even the sound of a few notes of that song beginning, something happens. You re-engage. I mean, again, and even that, well, I'll talk about it a little bit. I'll talk about more of this. Even, you know, secular songs. You can hear, you know, depending on how old you are and what you liked or where you were. You might hear the beginning like a Beatles song and you start smiling. Because maybe when you're in grade school or high school or something, something good was happening in your life and that is connected almost more than anything else. I think music, the sounds of music and the words of music is still probably the most influential force on earth. Even more so than movies, certainly more than, you know, negative stuff on TV or stuff like that, is that the sights, the sounds of, of anointed music and the words that go along with it probably do more to bring us together as one people than any other thing. In the Song of Solomon, the beautiful love relationship between the bride and the bridegroom is graphically portrayed. The bridegroom flourishes himself in all his glory to his bride. So, Song of Solomon 2, verse 9. And he states, this is the season of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove in Palestine was the first sign of spring and indicated that the dreary barrenness of the winter season was over. Now, there's a person we know, Barbara and I know, his name is Mike Bickle. And he could not sleep for 21 days. He could not sleep. He just kept staying in the Song of Solomon. And after about the 18th day, his wife Diane said, Mike, God is giving you this book. He's giving you this. It happened to him once before for the Book of Romans. Of course, he got this whole big revelation that really this isn't, you know, this isn't, you know, for a marriage uh, seminar. You know, the song is song. It's not about you know, it's okay to have a physical love relationship with your spouse. It's not about that either. This is the, the, when it's called the song of songs. That means this song is first amongst all the songs. He concludes, and I would agree with him. It's a song about every man and woman. When <clears throat> when the bridegroom, and it's described, and some people think that uh, he had this uh, really, really glorious palatial RV. <laughs> like a mobile palace that was probably carried by some of his mighty men. And, and, he's, and so he's going out in the wilderness looking for, for this uh, dark-skinned, beautiful woman. You know, he's describing it. And when he sees it, he says, with one look in her eye, you've ravished my heart. Of course, Mike went crazy on this in a good way and elaborated. And I believe God was given a revelation about that. I know he was given a revelation. Is that when God sees you seeking him. So this woman was, where is he? I gotta look for him. I gotta find. And when he sees him with one look at her eye, it's, it's like the heart of the Lord is ravished 
when he sees you or I seeking him. That picture is really worth owning. Personal. That when God sees you, it's like, whoa, I have the power to do all kinds of things. I will do everything to connect, to, to, to show love, to be in a love relationship. And the beauty of the Lord is revealed in that picture. To me, it's, I'm, it's kind of amazing. You know, all of us grew up with some kind of music. And a lot of times, of course, depending on who you were, there was a lot of boy and girl songs in the 50s. I don't know what kind of songs there are now. I know most of them are suspicious. <laughs> but we get to get in on the best that it has to offer in, in, in the area of music and words mingled together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our bridegroom is now flourishing in his glory and presence among his people. And because the testimony is true that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. How many of you have expectantly been waiting for that to be fulfilled? Everyone was in a state of expectation. So we are counting on this to be fulfilled in our lifetime and not for someone else. But for me, I want to experience it. Happy to hear about other people, but I'm happier to hear about myself. <laughs> that's not selfish. That's just healthy, wise. God has chosen singing as a prime channel of worship to him and a ministry to one another. The, appropriate, the appropriateness of singing as a vehicle of worship may not only be in the fact that music originated in the very heart of God, but also that it is inseparable from human existence. This morning as they were, you know, having a memorial about 9-11, I don't know who it was, but a man, some people were speaking, and some man got up and shared a song that was written about 9-11. And this is many people that were there gathered in New York at the memorial were, had relatives, husbands or wives or children, talking about parents that were lost. And this song was a song of honoring the people in their memory. It also brought comfort to those who have engaged in remembering a horror of sorrow that was personal to them. I cannot tell you the times that I have survived some kind of a dark night that I've had to sing through the entire night. And joy comes in the morning. The importance of singing in, oh, come on. Machines are only so good. Could be seen in the very beginning in Genesis. There were three professions were essential in nomadic life. And even in such antiquity, music was considered a necessity in everyday life of the people, along with such primitive professions as the sustenance of life, metallurgy, sheep herding, and those things. All of these people created songs to go along with their everyday earthly existence. They could talk about what they do, but offer, go unto the Lord for asking him help for what they do. Isn't it amazing that God breaks through? How many of you needed a problem solved, and through worship, God brought some type of an answer. 
Singing is always associated in Scripture with great events of God's program, such as in creation. You can read Job 38, verses 4 through 7. Redemption of Egypt, Exodus 15. And I love it. I, I quoted almost wrote it in somebody's book this morning. I love this quote. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. You think that song meant something to the people who for 420 years, their generations were held in captivity and then the Lord brought deliverance? Don't you think there was a lot of singing for about two and a half million weird people that walked around in circles and then got to go across through water that was divided by Charlton Heston? <laughs> that they had something to celebrate? And do you know that that song, the song of Moses, is still being sung in heaven? Today, 3,000 years later, they're still singing the song of Moses because it was an event that meant a lot to the history of those people and the generations to follow for 3,000 years. Remembering in song and exalting God for his incredible ability. In the life of all nations, music is manifested most often in singing. Also, singing amongst God's people in the Old Testament. Singing was such an integral part and component. A popular life of Israel that Scripture does not hesitate to frequently mention references to secular popular songs in people as well. And singing praises to God. It's a priestly obligation to praise and worship God. How many are familiar with the difference between the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David? Just brief summary, just to recant something all of you seem to know about. The tabernacle of Moses required the killing and the offering of animals, of the fatlings, of the blood, and all of that. Is a, worship would be a lot of work and a big mess if we still were operating that way. But the tabernacle of David which he was ahead of permission to do that by 1,000 years. It was that the tent was set up and the sacrifice was singing, music, and dancing. Any priest, not just to go in once a year to represent the whole nation, one person stand up for everybody else, but any priest could go in there anytime and offer the sacrifice of, the, of praise and worship in the presence of the Lord. Any priest. How many priests are in here? We are called kings and priests. David was a prophet, a priest, and a king, and he exercised that ability. But probably something that he should be most well-known for, more than taking out Goliath, is that he was a worshiper. He, what a testimony. In spite of some of his uh, you know, negatives that are in the Scripture, his testimony was he was a man after God's own heart. How I many of you would, wouldn't mind that to be somebody say, I know this person. They're a person. That's a man or a woman. They're after God's own heart. What a good testimony. And it was more than, yeah, I guess, you know, all of his battles and, and Goliath and all that. How about a man when he determined as a leader to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of the Lord, 
that when he saw it coming in before his palace, he couldn't wait to go out and celebrate. He did not put on his royal robes. He wasn't naked. He, was, he had on an ephod. He had on, you know, sport underwear, whatever. <laughs> and he ran out. He couldn't restrain himself. And when his wife, you know, mocked and heckled him over, over disapproval, he says, you know, you're a royal man. He says, man, you, you're going to be photographed. The paparazzi are going to see all this. You're going to be on the news and everything. And uh, TMZ and all this, they're going to see you. He says, you need to be dignified. He says, I'm going to become even more undignified. I'm going to be wild and crazy for God. He was not inappropriate. He was the most appropriate. He's, he's a good example. I can't remember. What would you say, Barbara Robinson? Not good? Okay, okay I'll, I'll go to the Bible then. Barbara's. It's, music is coming, Barbara. Okay. You want me to get down to my underwear to prove that I can be even more undignified? <laughs> All right, then leave me alone. <laughs> I need some water. Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 identify New Testament singing as psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These three aspects of singing are not options for the church to choose from, but to all be an operative for the church today. Ephesians 5.18 is the command given. Be filled with the Spirit. The command is a key principle for a victorious Christian life. The, word, the verb be filled is in the present tense in the Greek implying that being filled with the Spirit is a continuous process. The consequences of being filled with the Spirit should likewise be manifested continuously in our lives. Being filled with the Spirit is more than an emotion or even an exhortation. It is a vital necessity for life conduct, which should glorify God. In the next verse, Ephesians 5.19, several evidences result in the fullness of the Spirit mentioned being spirit for a spirit-filled believer, be characterized by singing unto the Lord, evidence in God's spirit by singing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Isn't it amazing that the Bible is just, you've got to read it and then personalize it. It's just, it's incredible. I'll do the one in Colossians 3. And if you know a little bit about the history of Colossians, Paul's writing to some people. There's a few people teaching some extra uh, spiritual stuff that was inaccurate. They were called Gnostic heresies. It's like, it's, having revelation is, is higher than just regular knowing about Jesus. And they were getting revelation that was not applicable. There was uh, Gnostic, they said Jesus was somewhere between an angel and God. He didn't really die. He made it look like that. So, so Paul is correcting them in one sense, but then he says, oh, Barbara's got water for me. Thank you. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, I'm in uh, Colossians chapter 3. Holy and beloved, put on tenderness, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint 
against another. Even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. But above all these things, all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, says it in American Standard. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father. That's what it says in Colossians. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you think that it's just a nice, lyrical way to nice, vanilla, like Christians are just kind of meek? No. We are supposed to actually relate to one another that way. And in Ephesians 5, obviously, it's, these are a couple of four of the prison epistles. He's writing again to groups of people, to these people in Ephesus. He doesn't know. He's never been there. But he says some of the similar things. Don't, be, don't you know, get blown away drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Getting drunk with wine is, is, is dissipation. It reduces you. But being in the spilled with the Spirit increases you, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. But it's actually, uh, there's a wonderful man that I pastored, Barbara and I were pastoring in the same church with this guy. His name was Larry. Evidently, he'd call on the phone Hello, Mickey. What has the Lord got for you today? He would start singing, and he would start singing scripture. And he just it was just normal for him to do that. And he had all kinds of scriptures, just not only memorized, it was just in him. And he would just sing a greeting. Uh, the first time that I was ever in France ministering, every place that we had a meal, the believers there, and there's not many, but they're really strong, they would sing grace. It's so refreshing. It's so real. Everybody wants, can I do it next? You know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. There's so, so speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs can be a reality. I'll tell you a little, little problem solver. I have a dear friend. His name is Francis Franchapan. I've been friends for years. How many ever heard of Francis Franchapan? And he was pastoring this church in Hawaii. It was kind of like a former hippie Jesus movement kind of church. And so there were some people, they were all very communal. And there was, ten, there was one person there that was kind of a, a, kind of a burnout kind of a guy. He was pretty crisp, okay? He, be, he could be eating cereal and the spoon would be halfway to his mouth and he'd be paused for about a minute. He was like that Christopher Lloyd on the TV show, Taxi. He looked a little too much, you know? And then there was this really hyper woman. She was just very hyper, just jumpy. And so there was this tension. This guy wanted to mellow out. She wanted to... You know, buzz up and so there was this conflict between them and so Francis went up out to the hill and prayed and he came back and he says the Lord's spoken to me he says we're going to solve this problem he goes he says the Lord said we must go on a fast so they think oh my god no more eating for a while that's it they said no it's not gonna be about food he says when I count to three there's going to be no more talking any communications have to be done you have to sing to one another so you ready so the whole house church full of people and all this he says right one two three and so then first a little bit nervous and then it starts happening you know they're having dinner he goes would you pass the potatoes please you know and, and, every, and pretty soon it's like people are, are happy they're excited thinking of things to sing you know 
well, they're communicating. Well, a day or two goes by, and uh, the tension lifts, and, and, uh, and you know, and it's just, they're just having a good time doing this. It's, it's all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and the, the hyper girl opens it up, and it's three Jehovah Witnesses, and she goes, Francis, it's for you. <laughs> so, here they come in, boom, and they, they sit down, and, you know, there's, there's the head one, there's the associate one, and then there's just a paper holder, nodder, and, and this kind, you know, don't get to say anything. And so, <clears throat> so they're going at it with Francis and the house of people there. Tell them about, you know, the 144,000 and everybody's going to hell and all this other stuff. And, it, and Francis would be, oh, but it also says, anyone who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. And it goes on like that for like two hours. They, they got their spiel, reading their little pamphlet. And, and, he come in, and he's singing back what he knows and all this. After two hours, they finally just stand up and they excuse themselves. They said, Francis, you want us to pray for you? No, we're good. They want to leave. And they never once ask, what is the matter with you people? (laughs) Are you guys on something? (laughs) And they left. But the house was happy. And they weren't mad about the job. They enjoyed being able to, to relate to them. And I bet they never forgot it. <laughs> so uh, it says, speak to another singer in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, how many know that psalms are scripture that were put to music? The entire middle of your Bible are all songs. Now praise is a totally vertical song about the Lord, honoring the Lord. It's all about Him. And praise, it says, we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. How many of you correct yourselves if you're driving to church? And I know that Christians don't, uh, husband and wives don't have uh, fights. But sometimes you have intense fellowship. And you get in there and you're, you know, everybody says, how, how you doing? And you Great, <laughs> and you know, but when music gets going, you want to be right with God, and so you you, you humble yourself and say, Lord, and you want to get in to praise, and it changes things. So, so a psalm was scripture that was really that came forth because of music and and the spirit, and we have we have a whole Bible that's not only in Psalms. Uh, a hymn is. Uh, is spiritual or a Christian theme set to music? You know that we got, if, you, if you ever grew up in a church with hymnals, you know there's great hymnals in there. And they were, when, a lot of them when they were written were contemporary songs. We would call them like bar songs. And people would get mad back then. Now people are mad if you use drums and synthesizers back in the 70s, 60s or 70s. Oh, you can't do that in church. <laughs> well, how many rather have what we have now than what we had when it was only piano and organ and only robotic? You know? And so a psalm is scripture that's birthed with music. A hymn is a, spirit, or is a Christian theme or a spiritual theme set to music. So today, we're having both psalms and hymns written. And then a spiritual song is a prophetic song. It's a spontaneous words, mostly with spontaneous music. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the song of the Lord. How many of you know in the scripture where it says, sing to the Lord a new song, is not talking about finding it on the radio. It's talking about getting in the spirit and then where God brings forth a new song. 
And stuff happens. Most of the songs that we've been enjoying for the last 25 or 30 years are songs of intercession, usually honoring and calling out to God to send his spirit to bring revival. It's a song of, of entreating the Lord. You know, pour out your spirit. The songs that we sang this morning, if, if you re, and I'm sure that as we sang them, your heart was in them, really believing them and wanting it, the Lord to produce something. If there's anything that the, that the church, let's just say, in the United States or in the Western world here, is doing right or making us in unity, it's prayer and worship. It's not over a doctrinal split. It's not over who's the boss. It's not over what, what's your background. It's usually, it's usually that we're united together in praising and worshiping God, and we're united in prayer. And I'll tell you, we'll get into it after a little break here. It's not only on earth, it's still going on in heaven. The prayers of the saints mixed with the, with, with the uh, music of heaven is producing rain coming down on earth. <clears throat> so the song of the Lord is, I'm really, uh, I'm really more open and impressed to a lot more people are having and experiencing without knowing it in its fullness. There's a lot of people in, in churches that would maybe not even agree in some of the things that I would be teaching today as far as, as about prophetic worship. They go, well, they're actually doing it, even if they don't know it. And oftentimes there's such a connection that when the word is preached, something in the spirit happens to a person, whether it's salvation or it's a revelation or edification or spontaneous healing. It's because the presence of God is in the midst of it. Uh, in the prophetic, we know that there's different realms of the prophetic. There's, a, there's the office of the prophet or prophetess. There is someone that has a gift of prophecy. But then it says in Revelation 19.10, when uh, the apostle John, who should know better, but twice he falls down and worships an angel. I mean, he's so flabbergasted by what he's seeing and what he's commanded to understand, to record. He just falls down and the angel says, cool it, don't do that. He says, I'm one of your fellow brethren like you. So he says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we're worshiping, why is it in meetings that during worship, there's this sense and discernment, God's going to do something. Because the spirit of prophecy is in a meeting. Anybody can be in the prophetic. So we say, oh, I'd like to be in the prophetic. You just don't have to give birthdays, names, and dates, predict the future, call out to. No. Sometimes the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the testimony of Jesus occurs one-on-one -on -one just talking to people. It occurs in preaching. But it really occurs as we're connected, worshiping the Lord with spiritual music, releasing prophetic declarations. The spirit of prophecy is in a house. And it broods over us. And stuff happens. I don't know about you. I talked about, you know, about the singing and how husband and wives don't have fights. They have an intense fellowship. Same friend, Francis, says you know, he's Italian. Francis Frangipan. It's funny because it's an easy name for me to pronounce, but we go in a restaurant and people would Frangipani, Frangipang, Orangutan. So we would just, this is a party of four for Francis, and they, they would get that right. See, Italians, husband and wives, don't have an argument. They have an opera. What do you think you're doing to me? <laughs> Loud and obnoxious. So we have a lot of fun talking about this stuff. But the fact is, 
You could have a conflict in your life, and it's hard to be in the spirit. Come on. You could have, a, like, a big conflict, and it's hard to be in the spirit. But it's not impossible. Back in the Bible, in 2 Kings, the prophet, the prophet Elisha, who was the spiritual son of the prophet Elijah, was alive and in the land there, and there's three kings that come together to stand against a common enemy. And so in that, we're talking about, so the king of Israel, I'm in Second Kings 3. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, for the animals. So these people are in a weakened state militarily. Alas, for the Lord has called these strings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? A spiritual person understands and realizes that the word of the Lord, through, in this case, a chosen, honored servant of the Lord, is the key to victory. Is the key to a solution. How many know that the word of the Lord is a solution to problems? So he said, Elisha, the prophet. And so one of the servants said, Elisha, the son of Japhat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat went, and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Of course, in other words, he said, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I'd say, get out of my face. In other words, these two kings, he didn't like them. This is the son of Jezebel and Ahab, one of them. He didn't want any, you know, so he, he definitely is conflicted. How many get conflicted? He's asked to be spiritual, and he's having a hard time. He said, the Lord has called these things together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. And Elisha says, as, the host, as, as I stand before you, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. And he says this key thing. Now, bring me a minstrel. He says, I can't. He says, I'm conflicted. But I regard this man, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. I want to help him in spite of you two. And he says, bring me a minstrel. And then it happened. As the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord. And he gives a prophetic strategy for spiritual warfare and victory. He gets, a, he gets an instruction. He says, make these ditches. Fill them with water. And they had their, their shields. And they would sh he tells them to shine them and polish them all up. And as the sun rises, the enemy, the, 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 the morning sun which is kind of a red reflection off these shiny shields, goes over the surface of the water in these ditches, and they think there's already been a battle, and there's blood there. So this strategy causes defeat for the enemy. But he could not bring the word of the Lord because he was conflicted by the presence of two kings that he saw were ungodly. But he says, bring me a minstrel. And when the, 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 so he got in the spirit and brought the strategy. Do you think in our nation right now, when there's been more conflict than I can remember in my, certainly in my lifetime, or in known American history, exception 
from maybe the Civil War. Been more conflict, lack of trust. Who's telling the truth? What should we do? What would be our strategy to get out of this uh, political thing, this economic thing, this virus thing? What's the strategy? Let's say, bring me a minstrel. Let's say, let's get in the spirit. Let's go to the king of all, the king of all governments. Though there's some bad kings and, and leaders in the world today, and there's people we don't trust here, there, and everywhere. The one we do trust is the Lord God of Israel is the one who is the father of all nations that seek him. Those that would rise up and worship God, the strategy of the present truth problems and the solutions will come from the presence of the Lord. So we just, in one of our prayer groups, we're going to ask our governor to ask all the spiritual leaders in Tennessee to pray to destroy the virus. We're going to ask Bill, our governor, give an order from your place of authority to all the pastors, the spiritual leaders, worship leaders, to, to pray and ask the Lord to destroy the virus. What a great idea. These people were conflicted. It was life or death. They were, they were weakened. They didn't have water for their animals. They were facing a battle, and they knew their, their supplies were down. They were going to be outnumbered. These people were going to want to kill them and destroy them. And they said, there's a prophet in the land. Bring him. But he couldn't bring it until he got in the spirit. So we're going to ask our governor to command us as spiritual leaders to take authority over the virus. And a lot of it's going to happen through worship and prayer. So, I want to talk about the song of the Lord, and then we're going to listen to it, and then we're going to do a little exercise, okay? Okay, this, this is on a, a prophetic CD Barbara and I did. It's called Words in the Wind. Uh, there's like 80 minutes, and there's all kinds of, it's really, it's kind of amazing, some of the stuff that got captured here. There's, you know, special guests on here, Chris Dupre, Joanne McFadder, Phil Kagey, Michael W. Smith, all kinds of people. And some of this stuff happened, and this happened at a place in Kentucky and I was doing a conference up there, uh, and an uh, awesome woman, Joanne, was singing a song uh, <clears throat> written by a friend of ours, Chris Dupre, called Dance With Me. And so it'll cut in to about her there some part. I give a prophetic word, and the response by uh, the worship leader and the, and the host of the conference, it was Robert Stearns, sings back a song of the Lord. And it went on after that into three hours of prophetic worship where the presence of God fell so that people were afraid to move. <laughs> The way it just came, we just kind of slipped. It was one for three. So you're going to hear just a little part of this. And again, because this was not planned, singing a song, and the Spirit gets on something, and then there's a response to that, and it's a song of the Lord. So it's a track four. So it's going to take a little bit, so just listen. And if you want to just listen and suck it up, you don't want to take notes because you can do what you want to do. But you can hear, you can hear how this changes. Father, I ask you bless this time right now. Thank you, Lord. Your word is alive.
Isn't it amazing? You can't make that stuff up. But when something comes as a personal revelation to you, learn this. Say, that's mine. And take it into the bosom of your eternal life. Because that life is life. I just thank God. for the, Now, this went on like that. This is unre- for like three hours. So the Lord is our strength and our song. He has become our salvation. So I actually want, to, I want us to exercise and do that, but maybe we should take a little break first unless we, we want to just stay in the mood and do it. Do you guys want to like a break or do you want to do something about worship next? Huh? Potty break, a little biology, okay. Five to six minutes, see you back here.